Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of TF. It is part two of a two-parter. A very exciting two-parter. Um, we are back. Uh, it's Riley, Milo, and Alice. And once again, we are joined by Jathan and Edward from This Machine Kills podcast. And we are going to talk about Netflix again. So uh, coming up on your Watch It Again queue. Uh, it is the TF <laughs> starting in five seconds, whether yes, you like it or not. Counting as a view that will be used to campaign for more funding. That's right. <laughs> um, yes, that's right. This is part two of the Netflix episode, where we are going to be talking about their psycho corporate culture and maybe speculating about not just what that's done to art, but what that means uh, for the workplace going forward. Hmm. Well, nobody who has a flagship series helmed by Kevin Spacey could be an evil. Oh company. boy, did they? <laughs> this okay. This this book that I read, uh, which is called No Rules Rules. It's by Reed Damn, Hoffman. Sitting backwards on the chair. <laughs> it's by. Okay. I, I I'm picturing Reed Hoffman as the leader from the Simpsons cult episode, oh, and yeah. nothing you can tell me will like disabuse me of that notion. <laughs> well, the thing is, if he was the leader from the Simpsons cult episode, he would be like trying to take over existing schools, and instead of sitting backwards on a chair, he would make a chair that shocks you if you try to sit backwards on it. Mm. Um, but. Before we carry on too much further, uh, I want to say, Jathan and Ed, welcome back to the show. How are you guys doing? Happy to hit that three-peat. Uh, I mean, I'm t well, two parts of it are talking about Netflix, which is really a form of torture, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's, that's the whole thing about TF. Yeah. We like to torture our friends. Yeah, it's good. We get to talk about the God Emperor of Capital today. It's going to be it's very, very, really it's very exciting. Um, by the way, uh, Alice, you mentioned that they talk about... Um, House of Cards, Kevin Spacey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Boy, in this book mm -hmm. written and published in 2020, do they bring up House of Cards as a kind of unvarnished success story? And boy, do they not talk about mm. any of the other elements of it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Just zero self-awareness. Everyone remembers House of Cards was the show that was good. And nothing else about House of Cards or anyone involved with I mean, House again, of Cards. statistically. They produced those weird videos that Kevin Spacey did. You know, oh, the fucking royal yeah. yeah. Fuck. Reed yeah. Hastings was behind the camera on those. Netflix original. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, statistically, you just have to say that House of Cards had much less pedophiles in it than the average Hollywood production. Yeah, it just it had one big one. Yeah. A big get. <laughs> So um, we're going to talk a little bit about the corporate culture that made all of this possible. Because Netflix, if you don't know has a very sort of singular, unique, uh, well, probably not unique for long, we'll get into that, uh, but a very famous corporate culture among like business writers and business thinkers. Oh, is, is it because it's good? Uh, well, they certainly think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the most ominous kind of all. Uh, so before we go into this, I want to read a passage from this book that indicates why Netflix organizes itself as a company as it does, and we can think about what that means moving forward. So, um, and this matters because like a few thousand Silicon Valley sociopaths doing like struggle sessions, um, but it doesn't, who really cares? Don't, 
who cares about that? No one cares about that. What matters is that Reid Hoffman has a coherent theory of management that could replace Taylorism in a very dark and dangerous way. And if you want to understand how the professional class is going to become precarized, it will be because these kinds of practices are adopted at the highest levels and then filter down to the rest of the economy. Like we said, because with Netflix, it says, no, it gives you freedom. It, it, makes, it makes you more flexible. It makes you a higher performer, all this stuff. Yeah, like driving an Uber. And it, well, precisely. It's that lifestyle is always the thin end of the wedge. And what is lifestyle for people who are not precarious because they're getting paid a Netflix salary may not be lifestyle for someone who's stack who's like, I don't know, working in a call center or stacking shelves yeah. in a grocery store. Well, what we're saying is all of this stuff is coming for you. And it's very easy to be like, oh, that you know, it's funny that um, you know, executives are getting tortured. And that's true. It is funny. It's very funny. <laughs> the problem is that's gonna tr- that's the only kind of trickle down economics that actually happens is the torture. And so uh, yeah, the, the, the the shit always rolls downhill. I mean that that's an immutable fact of life. Uh, ironically, uh, Netflix's corporate culture is a lot like the film It Follows, in that it is coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, basically, right, I think this is Taylorism, just to let, for, for those of you who don't know, was the pra- adoption of scientific management, like time and motion studies, by factory owners at the turn of the 20th century. It became, it turned into like McKinsey style, you know, fire everybody management consulting where you would like monitor workers on their paths to and from different piles of stuff and then you would like mo- you would like make sure they follow most efficient paths or work in yeah. the most efficient way Taylorism Taylorism is the reason why every third startup we talk about now is a brain implant mm-hmm. that activates when it hears the word <laughs> yeah it's old school six sigma it's three yeah. brace sigma uh, so um yeah like remember when Amazon patented that wristband that would send that yes. uh, it would strap its warehouse on its warehouse workers and it would send like electric shocks to kind of force you into the most efficient movement that is literally tailorism but with computers that's all and it then they turned that into a wearable they turned that into a wearable well now you pay seventy nine dollars a month or some shit for them to do that but they listen train your I, voice. I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and the thing is, right, and this is going to become clear as we read through this book, is that the corporate culture at Netflix is about putting the Amazon shock collar inside your brain. It's a it's oh, psycho- Musk. It's psychologically. It's Neuralink. Yeah, yeah. It, it is psychologically <laughs> implanting the Amazon shock collar into your psyche. Oh. Yeah, it's it's like the reverse of killing the cop mm-hmm. in your head. It's recruiting the cop Pavlov's in your head. Pavlov's executives. Yeah, and from- <laughs> yeah, and so uh, Jathan and and Ed, I want to sort of ask ask you about this, right? Is I've said like I think this is the Taylorism of what people are calling the Great Reset. Can you like just quickly like go into sort of what this is as like a generational transformation? Yeah. So so the Great Reset then is this. I did proffered by Klaus Schwab, who's the founder of Davos and the World Economic Forum, uh, and it like really it, it like links into his ideas around the fourth industrial revolution. But really, for him, it's like it, it, he talks about as this great reset for capitalism, right? And they're quite explicit in that. In that, like. Uh, I think he even co-authored a book that just came out called COVID-19, The Great Reset, 
which <laughs> it's like the awful title for a book, but it kind of actually gets at the idea here, um, which is that like the way that capitalism is being done needs to be completely rethought and it needs to be rethought with like AI and ubiquitous data and Internet of Things like it needs to be done in this like much smarter way. Right. And I think another key thing there is that their great reset also comes with a lot of uh, attempts at reforms where they don't really change the power dynamics between individuals and the workers, right? What they're just saying is like, it would be nice if shareholders cared more about the environment, you know, especially if they were shareholders at, uh, you know, like a toxic, you know, sludge company. It would be really nice if they thought about it and voted on like a non-binding resolution. But it's not, it's like, it's not like, let's stop torturing people or dumping waste into the water. It's just like, let's think about it before we do it and then do it. As a shareholder in Toxic Sludge Corp, I've been very upset to discover what they've been doing with all the toxic (laughs) sludge. (laughs) What am I going to (laughs) do? And the way they want to do it is by creating this like, uh, like total index of all the resources and materials and capital in the world uh, and like putting like sensors on all of it and having real time data about all of it. So now everything becomes a, a, like a hyper datafied, hyper monitored, hyper micromanaged asset. Class. Oh, it's going to be the Northern Ireland border. <laughs> I was saying, what if we do the Domesday book? But like the Domesday book, it's a book of all the times I got sucked off. That's right. That's that's what that's why that's what actually was in it. You know, William the Conqueror just loved getting top. Yeah, w- no, William the Conqueror was a pua. Yeah. Um, anyway, so what I, when I say this is the Taylorism of the Great Reset, what I actually I don't mean to sort of give that idea sort of any more credit than it deserves, which is basically none, as that's a sort of a PR exercise. But it also does entail some substantive changes, which is which is that as more things are automatically tracked and more transactions are automatically performed. Fewer and fewer clerical workers, fewer and fewer knowledge workers are going to be needed. And as such, the same, co- the same process of precarization is going to happen to them as happened to taxi drivers and people in zero-hours contracts and teachers and nurses and so on and so on. And it is, I believe, I think, I'm not willing to say this is going to happen, but I see, and especially as we talk about in the book, this gets more and more popular. It's getting adopted at more and more companies. It's it, the the document that this was based on, 127 slide PowerPoint presentation called like Netflix's culture uh, document, whatever it's called, uh, was one of considered one of the most influential in Silicon Valley. Like this isn't going anywhere, and we're going to go through why it's pernicious. But first, I want to read these two paragraphs, and they're a little bit long, but I'm going to read them because this is, I think, why he. This is the logic behind what we're going to talk about from a corporate level, and this is towards the end of the book. This comes in. It says, even during the industrial era, so what he means is anything before the digital era, i.e. now, uh, there were pockets of the economy, such as advertising agencies, where creative thinking drove success, and they managed on the edge of chaos. Such organizations accounted for such just a small percent of the economy. But now, with the growth and importance of intellectual property and creative services, so by that he means not just stuff like co- copywriting or whatever, but like JavaScript programming and um, user design, user interface design, then and so on. A very strange thing mm-hmm. happened. We all turned into Don Draper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with them to work at Netflix, you have to be constantly drinking whiskey and smoking. So says the, per- the percentage of the economy that is dependent on nurturing inventiveness and innovation is much higher and actually increasing. Yet most companies are still following the paradigms of the industrial revolution that have dominated wealth creation for the last three hundred years. 
being Taylorism and you know, wealth appropriation, but never mind. In today's information age, many companies and many teams, the objective is no longer error prevention and replicability. On the contrary, it is creativity, speed, and agility. In the industrial era, the goal was to minimize variation, but in creative companies today, maximizing variation is more essential. In these situations, the biggest risk isn't making a mistake or losing consistency. It's failing to attract and retain top talent, invent new products, or to change direction quickly when the environment shifts. Consistently, in re- I mean, th- this is just like it's entourage brain at a more advanced level, and it's like, damn, my life like madman. <laughs> <laughs> so it says, consistency and repeatability are more likely to squash fresh thinking than to bring your company profits. A lot of little mistakes help the organization learn quickly and are a critical part of the innovation cycle. So uh, again, yeah, uh, je- wait, is is TF anti-innovation? I'm going yes. kind of broadside yes. here. Yes, we are. That's why Trash Future has never come up with anything as good as Spencer Confidential. That's right. I, 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 I briefly looked that up. It's nothing like you think it would be. I'm not going to tell you what I, it is. I don't is. think it's like anything. I have no idea. Other than I assume it has lots no of big Bollywood dance sequences. Uh, and the thing is, right, I think what he's actually talking about here isn't the creative industry. It's not any kind of expressive process. But he's, when you're talking about innovation in this context, when you're talking about basically doing everything and seeing what works, you're talking about applying the logic of capital under a zero-rate interest world where you're looking mm. for monopoly inside the enterprise. Where you're talking about it's gambling. Ju- it's, just, it's just bullshit, yes. right? Like, it's... W- when, uh, like... Uh, your middle management imperatives under Taylorism were like more efficiency and crush unions, right? Your management imperatives at a middle level in this are more efficiency and crush unions, but you like think you're Don Draper while you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, you're doing this so on you, a beanbag. So you want to like, yeah, yes, literally, yes. You're just trying to like, you're trying to squeeze more JavaScript out of people, but the way in which you're doing it is like, nurturing their creativity but in the kind of like facile corporate way that we all know and love Mm. yeah i mean it ultimately comes down to a remarketing of work will set you free (laughs) yeah that's right oh well that was that was i mean look uh... at at least like i'm not i'm not gonna say there's no benefits in any of this Uh, like i'm not anti-creativity for the same reason i'm not like anti-tailorist managers providing workers with things like houses or gyms or things like that it's that there's always a hook and there's it's always part of a worldview in which the point of this is to stop you unionizing and to generate more javascript mm. no one's ever unionized on a beanbag there's something that's true actually uh, there's something <laughs> there's something else here to look at as well which is if you're if you are if you're trying to find new things to monopolize so right no one thought really about monopolizing uh you know like like facebook likes or whatever until facebook invented the facebook like to monopolize yeah. etc and now you know, greg stuby is furious about exactly. it exactly uh but yeah, it, it's it's stuff that you've talked about before with like displacements of value and mm. capitalism where you have to like find new ways of generating capital and you just end up like we're running out of natural resources to do it, or running out of geography to do it, and so we venture into the mind. <laughs> and so that that's that is the, the real like creative dimension is your ability to make up some more bullshit. Yeah. Join me in the mind dimension. So uh, we are all in the mind <laughs> we dimension. Are the mind we are dimension. all we are all in Sebastian Gorka's brain dojo <laughs> so about this. You say like. It- <laughs> so the thing is, if you can invent a new way, if you can invent a new resource to collect, you can then have a monopoly on it from the outset. 
And so I think if you want to look at the one thing that's changed here, it's yes, more efficiency in terms of JavaScript. Yes, we're still making sure no one unionizes ever. But we're also doing it in a way where instead of trying to make the same thing over and over again, we're just trying to keep making stuff until we invent something that we can dominate. And I think that's the difference. So funny. This kind of reminds me of just like the weird lines in God Emperor of Dune where it's like you're reading the book and at the top he's like, (laughs) he's like, do you know why I treat all my people like shit it's because i love them and i'm trying to squeeze out the most out of them and like you know help them transcend the limits of their humanity so that we never ever ever have to go to war that's why i'm a dictator for ten thousand mm. years that's why i will never let you shit in the corner unless i know where it is you know uh, and reed hastings in his interviews with ft talks about how he's horrible with people you know he breaks down in front of crowds he doesn't really know how to interact with people he thinks you're supposed to scream at them but he's doing it because he wants to set everybody free mm. he thinks or he thinks that he's going to come around and set everybody free through this and i for one don't think that sounds ominous at all <laughs> <laughs> i for one look forward to reed hastings riding the sand that's work. literally that is <laughs> yes, that is somewhere that is somewhere between like leto the second and like, mm-hmm. and like what, um, uh, a bit like a classic comic book villain. It's Ozymandias in Watchmen. Yes, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's literally just like every single quote they've ever mm-hmm. said, you know, just like o- ominously in the background. <laughs> this man is unable. He's addicted to being ominous. <laughs> Yo, I just, I just read this right. quote. Look upon my works, ye mighty in despair. And it's really cool. I think I'm going to put it on my yeah, statue. He, he just like, <laughs> just starts saying stuff that like would not be ominous, but he's like doing it in an ominous tone of voice. Join me in the conference room. <laughs> oh, well, here's the thing. <laughs> they don't have r- conference rooms with doors because they don't believe in secrets in Netflix. Of course. Okay. Of course. So here's, uh, Edward, this actually, this quote from Reid Hoffman builds on what you said here. He said, We model ourselves in being a team, not a family. A family is about unconditional love, despite your siblings' unusual behavior. A dream team is about pushing <laughs> yourself. Let's not drill into that any further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not, this is not a family. A family is Fuck where you, bad Kevin. things happen. Fuck you. Wait. Okay. There's there's literally a quote in uh, God Emperor, dude. I think that matches up almost exactly with it, where he's like, "Let there be no doubt." All right, no wrong one. He's he remember that there exists a certain uh, malevolence about the formation of any social order. It is the struggle for existence by an artificial entity. Despotism and slavery always hover at the edges, as if like the family is gonna enslave you and, and tie you down to the to the river, to the bed and not let you get out or do anything So here's, here's Hoffman's quote. That it basically is that, but in like LinkedIn speak, which is that a, a dream team is about pushing yourself to be the best teammate you can be, caring intensely about your teammates and knowing you won't be on the, the team forever. Being on a dream team is not right for everyone. Many people might value things like job security very highly and would prefer to work at companies where the orientation is more around stability uh, and working around inconsistent employee effectiveness. Our model works best for people who value consistent excellence in their colleagues. Yeah, we're basically like the Green Berets, but of most <laughs> <laughs> House of Cards. Yeah. Look, yeah. You, you shouldn't be ashamed that you didn't pass the selection course for Netflix. Yeah. It requires like a really show. special set of skills. Yeah, a lot of people die Has on the Netflix gone- fan dance every year. <laughs> Has anyone gone through like all production credits to really like make sure Jeffrey Epstein is not on one of them? Because it's just, you know. uh, no, that wouldn't be a pursuit of excellence. That would be concentrating on failure. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so we talk about the model, right? That right, because this could just be 
Like any any comp any CEO could say this about their company. Any single one could do that. Netflix actually has some differences in their policies and the way that the company is structured. That means that while this is still bullshit, there are some different things about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whilst it is bullshit, it can also be materially bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't worry. This isn't just empty bullshit. This is actually very, very evil bullshit. <laughs> uh, so what it means is that at Netflix, there are basically no rules governing things like vacation, expenses, or even like strategic decision-making within teams. If you have thought of like, I want to commission a show and you've done all the research for the show, you don't have to then kick that up the chain if you're sort of sufficiently high. You can mm-hmm. just do it. You can just make Spencer confidential. <laughs> yeah, you that's can, the yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can just like do a great big line of Adderall and then make Spencer confidential and then just say it has however many views. It has 85 million. Who cares? Ever heard of it? No. Caroline Calloway works for Netflix. <laughs> um, and so the other thing is though, in addition to that like lack of control, which again, that's a Taylorist thing, saying if you're sick, you have to get approval from these people, and this needs to be cross-checked, this film needs to be formed in. It's this mm-hmm. control and consistency. Netflix says, no, we're not trying to do that. What we're trying to do is, quote, set the context that people have freedom and responsibility. <laughs> in order to in order to overturn the norms of the, the production line that made the Ford Model T, we have brought back the court politics of the Borgias. <laughs> yes, that is literally yes. It's, it's a combination of the court politics of the Borgias and like a Maoist struggle session. <laughs> because negative feedback is constant and public. Awesome. Awesome. And they've invented Twitter. <laughs> and, and they even like most like, and that's why I say it's also a bit like Synanon because they have their secret cult language for describing what's going on. So when you're like have to do a struggle session because, you know, uh, you commissioned a show by a pedophile, um, oopsie doopsie. No, 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 by too many pedophiles. You know, by too many pedophiles. Then you have to go through a process called sunshining. Where well, you, that sounds good. You, that doesn't sound <laughs> ominous now, at first, all. Now first, first, we just hook these electrodes up to you. Yeah. Stare into my eyes, do not blink. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. It's basically like, the, the, the way I imagine it is it's like the Ludovico technique, but like for a TED Talk. You must now go through something completely non-ominous, which we like to call the workplace eclipse. <laughs> so when, what happens when you sunshine is either by, is either by individually or through mass emails to as many people as you mass can. Mass As quickly as you can. You have to detail all the mistakes you have made, why you made them, and how you're not going to make them again in the future. While adopting oh, the jet <laughs> position. Mm. Yeah, it's like it's, it's never has the word mass email sounded so <laughs> ominous. Exactly. Like, like he, it's the other thing I keep thinking of is like it's it's basically like you're taking like some you know product manager with a degree from Stanford and a gilet and making him adopt a stress position because he let too many bugs through the final product release. <laughs> Being it, working at Netflix is just taking a lot of iPhone notes screenshots. That's like the <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, Abu Ghraib has come to Silicon Valley. <laughs> Um, so and 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 I won't be satisfied until we get a live stream of Reed Hastings having his head shaved. <laughs> uh, uh, there are some. Yeah, I mean, all, all the management secrets of the seventh floor of the Riyadh Ritz Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> so, there are some. There are some interesting things in here. So uh, basically, because the book, um, hang on, uh, the book is like by it's an interview between him 
and uh, it's Alan like, Johnson from no, the police. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a written as a conversation between Reed Hastings and Aaron Meyer, who's like an eminent professor of business, culture, and so on and so on at INSEAD. And it's divided into three parts where around the three steps of like um, uh, reduce, of uh, uh, increased talent density, increased freedom, and reduce controls. And then you iterate. Everybody's mm. Don Draper. Yeah. Everybody is Don but Draper. What I think is really funny is because every the book Netflix comes off very well in the book. Like there are a couple of oh, small criticisms. Well, here's the thing. Aaron Meyer says <laughs> in the book, "Quote: Reed and I got to know each other, and eventually he suggested I interview Netflix employees to get a firsthand glimpse of what the Netflix culture is really like." <laughs> and they all said it was great. One of them slipped me a note, but like I just threw that in the trash. <laughs> one, of kept, one of them kept blinking in a very strange way. It was really was hard to read what was written on the note because it was in blood and quite smudged, but I presume it was something banal. Yeah, I assume they were sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she says, this is a chance to find out how a company with a culture in direct opposition to everything we know about psychology, business, and human behavior can have such remarkable <laughs> results. That sounds good. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> also, like, it's not really in direct opposition to everything you know. I mean, every it's not like everyone's wor not working for like the no profit of the no company. No one's ever, yeah, no one's ever come up with the idea of a struggle yeah. session before. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Aaron Meyer needs to read theory. <laughs> reading some, some, that's fucking I'm reading right. an interesting <laughs> book by Mr. C. Mao. Yeah. <laughs> nah, in a few weeks he's gonna be like, liberalism is the fucking yeah. enemy, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone on Netflix has a pig iron furnace next to their desk. <laughs> I, I, personally, I'm very excited for them to make a, like, a mini-series docudrama starring like, I don't know, um, the guy from Joni Loves Chachi called Combat Liberalism. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Net Netflix's management policy is combat liberalism, but combat is an adjective instead of a verb. <laughs> um, so that's what. So this is basically like a Potemkin book. So I want to read some uh, I'll, I'll, some stuff from the Wall Street Journal, which was a an article that like first shone a light. They sunshined. They sunshine Netflix. They sunshine their their weirdness out there. <laughs> would you would you say that they operate as some kind of a spotlight inquiry? Uh, do so they play like a weird pitch down like minor key version of "You Are My Sunshine" while they do this? Uh, that's right. Uh, can, Nate, can you put that in, please, behind this? Yeah, so, like uh, the burial plays sunshine. <laughs> a former a former marketing vice president described to the journal how she was working over the weekend to promote the second season of Orange Is the New Black in New York City. So again, having people like work on weekends and stuff like that's like nothing we know. That's such a me mediocre yeah. thing to be doing Maoism to yeah. your employees. <laughs> and received word that her boss wanted to have an early meeting on Monday. When she arrived to the meeting, she was told that she was fired because she wasn't a cultural fit. What the, that's <laughs> the chief talent, the chief talent <gasps> officer, uh, a woman named uh, Tawny Nazario Kranz, uh, later told the former executive that she should have fired one of the people she supervised faster, and that's why she herself was being fired. Get Borgia shit. Absolute Borgia shit. She'd failed what Netflix calls the keeper test, uh, which means the, the question is, if you heard this person was leaving, would you fight hard to keep them? If you would say, yeah, they're doing fine, I wouldn't fight hard to keep them, then you're supposed to fire them right away. Cool. That sounds <laughs> the very. Shit I've ever heard. This is. I love how, like, again, like all this comes back to our, our grand theory about just like everything in the modern era in the West being like the Soviet Union, but stupid and expensive. Like they've basically invented the NKVD. Like that, that's all this is. Just like, oh well, actually, you knew a guy who was bad at his job, so now you're fine too. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why have you failed to denounce this well, person? Here's the thing. Uh, Nazario Kranz was then subsequently fired because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't fire. 
<laughs> brushed out of the photo with Reed Hastings. This is the Netflix adaptation of the Death yeah, Star. That's right. <laughs> um, a lot of people at Netflix showing up with uh, ice picks in the back of their head. <laughs> so, uh, firings. Ca- what do you think the Netflix equivalent of being exiled to Siberia is? What show do they put you on uh, if you're like not actively fired, but you're on thin fucking you, ice? Do you think you're doing like Bloodline or you're, something? You're told that you're on you're on the Spencer Confidential account. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. You're doing the Kyrgyz <laughs> subtitles for SAS Ultimate Force. The the, the end of uh the, like the lives of others, the third act bit where he's like steaming mail open because they won't fire him and he can't quit is just like the people working on Spencer Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Spencer Confidential too, Bollywood excitement. I love to point my big comical Elmer Fudd firing gun at a middle manager and then it backfire all over me. <laughs> also, everyone's fired. It's like Netflix is kind of like the cells in your body, but it re- completely replaces everyone there every 10 days or so. How often have you been Low fired? I fire myself every day. <laughs> so, firing, so several managers have said, uh, re- re- talked to by the journalist here, said they have to keep firing people or they'll look soft and be fired themselves. <laughs> That's not this not is like Obama. You, yeah, thank you to Netflix for providing a better insight to the purges than Stephen Kotkin's new biography of Stalin. Yes. Yeah. We've just oh, we've just on. redone it in miniature. <laughs> it's beautiful. In his memoirs, he was talking about how he needed to keep firing drone missiles at people or else he would look soft on terrorists. Oh, so I, I, I get it. I can <laughs> yeah, see it. Yeah. This is this is combat shit, liberalism. Is, mm. Yeah, is, right. is Trump is Trump going to deploy his golden parachute into Netflix? I would watch every episode of the Trump <laughs> show on Netflix. You're fired. Oh, yes. You're fired. You're fired. I'm the strongest one here. You're fired. Trump is the only person. Trump is the only person who could out bully these people. He's coming to be like, no, I'm not fired. You're fired, actually. Very, it's very <laughs> sad, honestly. <laughs> Or him just like shitting on Obama's Netflix. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just co- coming in, just like someone tries to fire him. He just said, "You have ter- you have terrible skin." <laughs> Barack, Barack Obama, he's got a Netflix deal. Okay, couldn't get any pussy though. Couldn't get any pussy. Okay, I've never read a book. I've got more pussy than he's ever had. We're gonna be looking into Obama. He's not our yeah. friend. He's, right? he's not very, our very strongly looking into him. <laughs> Well, like, there are a bunch of in- of times here also where like someone goes out and spends too much money at a restaurant, and then they have to send an email to everyone being like, "I got too much of an expensive bottle of wine. This has hurt the company." Again, he spent too much money at Chuck E. Cheese. That's why I think that the the Trump comparison here is excellent because he would be <laughs> like, yeah, like someone like you know get, like spills like fresco on their shirt, and it's like go to the front of Air Force One and tell everyone what a slob you are. Netflix <laughs> 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 yeah, is like taking out billions of loans from the ECB, but it's just for Trump. Ah, for God, his- I would watch. <laughs> I would love to watch a show made by Trump on Netflix. That would be so good. Just that's that. Okay, here's an amazing free idea for Netflix. Up. Every single ex, ex-US president gets a show on Netflix. After Biden's done, he can have yeah, like- It's like the presidential library. Yeah. The presidential video so library. Like, yes. Barack Obama, yes. think about what he gets. He gets to like, you know, 
walk around to people he hates and like you know like pretend to drink water from this sink or whatever while like saying yeah, he, hey, he, have you he ever gets heard to make the, uh, like d- dreams of hope the audacity yeah. of change and then tr- which like only nerds will watch yeah. trump gets to make season 57 of the apprentice <laughs> yeah i really want actually clinton and trump to have a show together where it's like comedians in cars getting no, coffee no but that's it's just too many two- pedophiles <laughs> you've done the thing again <laughs> no it's what's i don't think trump is a pedophile you know i, I don't think he probably he's too is. simple no there are a lot of pictures of him with epstein no they, they are that yeah. absolutely i'm afraid they're absolutely he just loves to be at a cool party it's the, the, yeah. the a, lot, a lot of women here very very small not my kind of thing very very small what i what i want to see <laughs> basically said that verbatim about jeffrey he was like jeffrey he's a ladies man he likes him young real young yeah very strange uh, what was he it's like he did say that. Yeah, he said cool. he loves his social life he loves his women too some even younger than me uh, that's. <laughs> yeah, there's there's this one quote. Fox, he was like, you should, "You should ask Chris Andrew what they what goes on at that island. It's disgusting. I'm so, disgusting, folks. I'm so young. I'm so young. Pedophiles <laughs> want to fuck me. So, uh, so basically, I want to see I want to see the Biden uh, Netflix special oh, that he yeah. gets as well, yes. which is just like, a remake of Happy Days, but he is the Fonz. No, <laughs> I, I kind of think it would. I, I like to think of it as again, just like a, a deeply murderous and sadistic Mister Rogers. No, it, I think it's more like the sort of oh. coma season of the Sopranos. No, I figured out what it is. I figured oh. out what it is. It is um, it's Garrison Keillor. It's sadistic Garrison Keillor talking about like Lake Wobegon and so Isn't on. It just Al Franken. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Hey, you know what? Uh, Netflix, we're coming up with a lot of ideas for you right now. We've already got. Yeah, it. that's right. We're all being Don Draper right yeah. now. We're all yeah. lighting our cigarettes and we're we're drinking our old fashions and we're we're being creative. So um, you know? so, um like getting back to Netflix. <laughs> Uh, it says that um, when someone is fired, an email is sent to employees explaining in detail all of the reasons why they were fired. Um, and that they must never contact them, uh, <laughs> well, cut all ties with them, their family. Point one, he's a loser. So a vice president... <laughs> Sissy Graydon Carter's <laughs> bad food restaurant. Oh, that could be that could be the name of Trump's show where he goes to... It's like it's like uh, Gordon oh, Ramsay. Like diners, drive-ins, yeah. and dives are like bar <laughs> yeah, rescue. Bad food Guy restaurant. <laughs> there we go. We are, cu- we are just printing money here, Netflix. Has Guy Fieri ever met uh, Trump? I need to know uh, that. So a, a vice president of Netflix called Karen Berrigan was said to have responded Hell to of a name. Excuse That's a fun me? name. Yeah, very, I wouldn't have named her that, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it's full of good ideas. Mm. Uh, responded to the, to the allegation that it created a culture of fear. Good. Fear drives you. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Why? Like this is the this is the upside, right? Of like doing stress positions on nerds is that like a handful of them will thrive and prosper, and you end up with the, like these gilet wearing dickheads being like, "I am the scourge of God. <laughs> I am the scourge of the accounts department." <laughs> this is basically what the CIA is. Um, yeah. So now, the, the, this this person then went on to dispute that she ever said this just you know so we're clear oh, see that, that's the difference the cia wouldn't bother yeah. but like what i actually said was work I mean, makes you free <laughs> Uh, I cannot find a picture of Guy Fieri with Donald Trump, yeah. and that really upsets so, me. So mark that down in your bingo cards. Guy Fieri with Gon- Donald Trump has not been found this episode. No. Oh, no, I take it back. There is oh, one. So unmark your bingo card and then mark <laughs> yeah. the space that says Guy Fieri was found with Donald Trump this episode. It's impossible to fill the entire card. I'm going yeah. to put it in the DM just so you can appreciate um, it. 
It's it's a good photograph. So um, double. St- this goes on. Uh, the article goes on. Double standards on transparency create confusion. One executive said he was fired because he did not inform others about another employee's medical condition out of respect for their privacy. Netflix said this was not being <laughs> forthright with us around a major employee issue. Now, before we even get into that, though, in the book. Hastings that's but that's very illegal like already Hastings makes a big deal of talking about how he says it would be wrong for an executive to quote sunshine their own struggles with addiction and instead just demur that they were taking time off for personal reasons so I think that there are what what actually might be happening is a lot is Borgia court politics where some people have to sunshine their addictions and then get fired or whatever and other people are just allowed to like carry on with relative privacy and a lot of these rules seem I don't know arbitrary yeah you get moved to a Netflix Hmm. office in rural Ireland (laughs) and (laughs) the thing is right um Right, like we say, if these these are arbitrary, what this actually does is it creates a culture of fear and uncertainty, which basically means that you're constantly like you're you're going Working to work every day, best. but you're going to work every day, wondering if it's your last day at work. And where Netflix is able to say we're a, we are like a sports team, not a family, so I so we're going to fire whoever we want to fire whenever we want to fire for any reason, and you're just supposed to be glad to have worked here. What that looks like to me is a kind of professional zero hours contract. Yeah. Welcome to Netflix, where the bullet will always come from behind. Wait, what was that last bit? (laughs) I hate it when I work for Netflix and my boss asks me to take a long walk down a vinyl hallway. Hey, look at those flowers. Aren't they beautiful? (laughs) Just keep thinking about the flowers. Uh, It's it's yogurt day. I wonder if this contains the pills. Yeah, actually, at Netflix, we operate a buddy system where everyone is uh, assigned a much smaller and smarter co-worker to keep an eye on them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, what? I-, I love to work for Netflix, open my desk drawer and find the orientation manual on a silenced Makarov. <laughs> Um, yes, it's, it's at, at, at Netflix, uh, everyone has a code phrase, and the code phrase will activate them to kill one of their coworkers. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. commissioning our new series, Flatlander Woman. Yeah. Th- this morning, this morning, the announcement is um, apple pie, jaundice, and Slovenia. And then three <laughs> shots just ring out. <laughs> Wait, is it each of those is an individual code word? Those are, yeah, the three in sequence is unique enough to be an activation, but just any mention of apple pie might just lead a murder to it's happen. Like, oh, oh, wait. Wait, I fucked up that code word. I'm submitting myself to uh, Sunshine. We're commissioning a new series in Slovenia, and you just hear sounds of someone being beaten to death with a ring buster. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that. Anyway, um, the, the, also, this um, comes back to uh, Jonathan Friedland, no relation. Um, former chief communications officer, who I think we all recall this was a big deal on Twitter a couple of years ago, like kept dropping the like the N-word in separate meetings, but to say oh, that people you should, kept getting murdered. But to say that you should <laughs> yeah. to say that you shouldn't say it. <laughs> to be fair, the, the the whole N-word would be a very safe uh code phrase, right? Because you just hang out with liberals often enough. You just like hope they never say it. You're probably fine. And if they do, you take one of them down with you. I love I love yeah. the energy of a guy who thinks he's found a workaround to say the word and just go, oh you know a word I would never say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Hastings, however, waffled for months on on whether or not to fire Friedland, keeping him on for a long time. And then it was subsequently, a really long activation phrase. Hastings sunshined his face 
trailer in Judgment at a retreat, apologizing oh, on stage, apologizing on stage, <laughs> yeah. and then just, hold on, hold on. subject line the full <laughs> word. <laughs> Hard R. <laughs> Hastings waffled for months on firing Friedland and subsequently then sunshined his failure in judgment at a retreat on stage where he sliced a lemon in half, juiced the whole uh. thing, and then drank a glass of pure lemon juice. Cool. Uh, uh, that is not lame. lemonade. What the fuck? I really don't like it when my boss at the MK Ultra factory that <laughs> makes TV shows pulls out a knife on stage. <laughs> That's actually the denouement of Spencer you, Confidential you, 3, hard R. Can we, can we make this episode titled MK Netflix? Yes, sure. Um, <laughs> When you said that he broke it like he had a lemon and he sliced it in half, I was really half expecting him to put both of those slices in his oh, eyes yeah. and squeeze. I was like, that's, that's what he needs to do. That's the real struggle session. He's doing suicide shots. Yeah. Like, at, at, what point, like, what, at what point do you just check if Reed Hastings has a boner for all of this? Mm, yeah. He has the sunshine about his boner. Wait, do you think that uh, actually the guy, the, the Serbian war criminal who drank the poison in the dock at The Hague was just like a, uh, he was just working at Netflix? <laughs> he was sunshining. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. um, <laughs> he didn't kill enough people it's fast the new thing enough. At the UN. <laughs> People are going to be very mad at you for calling that Croatian war criminal a Serbian war criminal. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Some activation <laughs> phrases will be said. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so he says, basically, if you give employees more freedom instead of developing processes to prevent them from exercising their own judgment, they'll make better decisions and it's easier to hold them accountable. Netflix is now run uh -huh. by the anime Avi people. I love it when people are held accountable. It's my favorite uh, thing. This also makes for a happier, more motivated workforce and a more nimble no, company. No, it doesn't. It clearly doesn't. It makes for an incredibly paranoid workforce <laughs> that is always trying to knife itself. Yeah, the, Bor the Borgia. No, it's it's, it's great. Right, because uh, the Basileus always knew that he would never have to die of an illness because he'd always be murdered. Yeah, that's right. You you don't even have the hollow, shitty protection of like rules anymore. That's not a thing. Here at Netflix, we have a we have a monthly thing that we like to call the uh, the the evening of the lengthy blades. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this makes a happier, more motivated workforce and a more nimble company. And to develop, but you have to develop a foundation to enable this level of freedom. And you have to increase talent density, increase candor, and reduce controls. Now, talent I want density. Yeah, I'll explain that. I want a lot of very dense talent. But I want to pause here, though, and sort of throw <laughs> fifty wide nose talent. I want to throw back to Edward and Jathan. It's very interesting that he talks about freedom here, and what he means by freedom. How do you what do you feel he means by freedom here? Freedom to get uh, domed, really. That's what he's talking about here. Um, I think with a lot of these tech executives and a lot of these um, you know, tech insider Silicon Valley people, when they're speaking about freedom, and like they'll use language of voluntary contracts, a free association. But what they really end up meaning is like no barriers to authority and coercion and domination at all. And like if you get in the way of a power system, you're fucked. But if you don't, then you're good. You're chilling. You know, you can you can um, sunshine as much as you want or whatever else you can do at Netflix. But if you get in the way of power, of um, autonomy of power, uh, then you're in for a problem. 
Yeah, you started the episode talking about how this is, you know, this is laying the groundwork for what the precarious uh, is going to experience. You know, this is coming to everybody, but it is already here, right? I mean, flexibility is the watchword for all of the gig companies, right? That was the whole uh, impetus or the excuse behind like Proposition 22 is that they they needed the the legal freedom to institute total flexibility um, in their workforce for the workers, right? But then when you actually look at the sociological studies and do interviews, like I have in my own research with people that work on these platforms, uh, that flexibility very quickly is experienced as a freedom to work at all times. And I think the other thing here, right, and this is because, I mean, I, I tend to think of everything in terms of going back to the Fed and the ECB and, and zero rates and stuff, is that this is a way to increase freedom of, uh, of, of, this is almost a way to reduce the strategic workload on decision makers, where you have to say, you can say something like, I don't know what our strategy is going to be. Why don't you figure it out? You have the freedom to do whatever you want, but you also have to know that if the thing that you do isn't uh, like not just in our best interest, but isn't so amazing that no one else could ever have thought of it, et cetera, et cetera. You will be immediately fired, and we'll f- replace you with someone who does, right? Mm. And uh, like in in another parallel to your your Stalin or whatever. Once you're at a high enough level, once you're like Reed Hoffman, right? You or Reed Hastings, you don't have to worry about the infighting because it's not coming for you, but it is keeping anyone who might down because they're all trying to knife each other. Right. It externalizes. This is <clears throat> this is like a good strategy for them externalizing everything. We have in, ge- in general markets externalizing all the costs of every single horrendous, odious, toxic you know activity. But we're also having firms externalize their own costs on the books and to workers, and then we're also having them externalize like responsibility or um, you know any sort of uh, you know accountability <laughs> right uh, to uh, the workers and. At the same time, that freedom gives them more ability uh, to raise funds, uh, to violate the law frequently, to you know, uh, operate in capacities that they might not otherwise, to gain more and more and more power at the expense of everyone else's mm. autonomy. And I, I think we can, we can talk then about like, so, because if we, we talk about this sort of operationalized, let's sort of get really into the meat of this book um, and how Hastings thinks about the relationship of the worker with work. This is a story about early Netflix navigating the first dot-com crisis, um, they had, where they had to lay off a bunch of people, and they were wondering if they were going to survive. However, they said, a few months after the difficulty, the holidays arrived. DVD players were popular that Christmas, and by early 2002, our DVD by mail subscription business was growing rapidly again. Suddenly, we were doing far more work, but with 30% fewer employees. To my amazement, those same 80 people now were getting everything done with a passion that seemed higher than ever. They were working longer hours, but their spirits were sky high. It wasn't just our employees were happier. I'd wake up in the morning and I couldn't wait to get into the office. In those days, I drove uh, Patty McCorg, like an HR person, uh, to work every day. And when I swung up to her house in Santa Cruz, she would practically leap into the car with a big grin. Reed, what's going on here? She would say. Is this like being in love? Are these just wacky chemicals and this thrill is going to wear off? Patty had put her finger on it. <laughs> yes, we're on mushrooms. <laughs> the entire office. <laughs> yeah. Stage one of the CIA experiment <laughs> called Netflix is releasing LSD into the so office water supply said, of a DVD by mail they company. Said, the entire office felt like it was filled with people who were madly in love with their work. 
the uh-huh. DVD uh-huh. by mail. Remember company. to drink lots of water, but not too much water. <laughs> so what Hastings, yeah. then, what basically Hastings concludes from this is that by firing a bunch of people and keeping just the best performers, everybody seemed to be very happy to be there. It must be because of something Ike made up called talent density, and not thank God I didn't get fired. <laughs> Definitely not a highly abusive relationship. It's a it's an extremely healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds cool. You might even say. Yeah. It, I, what I love about this company is that they seem to have a culture of like when your mom is mad at you. Like she's obviously mm. mad, but she's refusing to explain why she's mad and you it's on you to do exactly the right thing. And if you do the wrong thing, your life will be absolute hell. <laughs> um and Right. And the, the idea, but also the idea, right? The, the freedom is the freedom to basically be psychotically in love with your work at the DVD by mail company. And I mean, the, aren't we all? And the freedom to do the kinds of things that do whatever that love drives you to do. But in order to have the freedom, you must also demonstrate how in love you are, how like, and again, you know, we talked about this a long time ago. And when I talked about Byung Chul Han's psychopolitics, you have to not just like your job. You have to want to marry your job. This is where it comes to like the Simpsons movementarian cult. Yeah, and, fuck your job. and you have to like pretend not to need it. You have to buy into, for instance, Uber's original bullshit of, oh, we're just gonna get people who like maybe want to make some extra money on the side. If you want to prosper, you have to act like that's the case, even if it is as it will be for most people, your full-time actual job. Mm. And so he says, in hindsight, I understood that a team with even one or two merely adequate performers brings down the performance of everyone in the room. If you have a team of five stunning employees, so talking like a London estate agent. Very hot models. Okay, we're talking about employees with huge racks here. (laughs) Uh, And then some adequate ones. The, uh, the two adequate ones will sap manager's energy. <laughs> this, is, this is the graph of grades declining around Bart's desk. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the adequate ones will sap manager's energy, lower the team's overall IQ, and reduce the quality of group discussion. I hate it when we lower the team's overall IQ. Yeah. well, it's just, Everyone's like just yeah. fucking doing poppers constantly. <laughs> like, that's the... Measure, measuring each other's goals. Yeah. Yes, yes, literally doing <laughs> eugenics to your like product team. <laughs> yeah, being fired for having the wrong kind of brain pan. Interesting. You have this like little weird bump on the side of your head that's with submissiveness, <laughs> a low yeah. IQ, not too high energy. Yeah. You know. So, hey everyone, look at this weird bump. I've heard of the keeper test. This is the caliper <laughs> test. Force others to develop ways to work around them, reducing efficiency. Drive staff who seek excellence in everything around them to quit. Cool. And show the team Rather that you can be fired for not firing people. <laughs> and show the team that you accept mediocrity in general. Seems kind of fascist. Yeah, right, Riley, you. you- I mean, extremely. And you brought up Bong Joon Han's uh, psychopolitics. I feel like that that is such the perfect and apt uh, lens to view this through. It, it reminds me of a of a short um, passage from his book where he says, "Quote: Power that is smart and friendly does not operate frontally, i.e., against the will of those who are subject to it. Instead, it guides their will to its own benefit. Smart power cozies up to the psyche rather than disciplining through coercion." And that is exactly what's happening here. It is it is psychopolitics in every meaning of the word psycho. Mm. That's exactly <laughs> sicko right. mode politics. Exactly it. <laughs> um, 
Would you go sicko mode for an employee you don't know? Yeah. <laughs> um, we like people at Netflix to be absolutely jokerified. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, in chapter two, he talks about how he learned his lessons about candor. Uh, he learned mm. his lessons about candor from going to marriage counseling with his wife. Cool. He's oh a wife God. guy. <laughs> On yeah. top of it all, he he's had, a wife guy. He had problems with his he had problems with his marriage because he was working too hard at his like you know debugging software startup. He was addicted to excellence. And I said, think you mean. Yeah, well, yeah, he he had a, he was fucking getting weird on excellence. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'd wake up in the morning. I'd do a line of excellence straight off the mirror. He like fixed the problem. He, he tried to fix the problems, and then he did the marriage counseling. He's like, you know what? What if I just ran the company on yes, this shit yeah. instead of having to yes, do it? Yes, that, your, no, that was what he did. Divorcing your wife because oh she should have divorced you years ago, yeah. and that that isn't itself an indicator <laughs> yeah, of failure. Shows weakness. So uh, yeah. Edward, he says afterward, I tried to take the same commitment to being honest from oh my, my therapist God. back to the office. I began encouraging everyone to say exactly what they really thought, but with positive intent to get feelings, opinions, and feedback onto the table where they could be dealt with. Um, so basically- And then I guess with them. In a marriage, there's a fine line between sunshining and exhibitionism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how sometimes there are those really annoying basic people on the internet who are like, uh, men, yeah, men freaking, getting therapy is the worst here. thing that ever happened. Uh, but th this is the one time where I agree with this. <laughs> <laughs> normalize not going to therapy exactly and, yeah, that's, that's right normalize yeah. being a dude yeah being because like that's guy. like mo modern day because what is tony soprano but modern day don draper and modern day don draper has to go to therapy right because essentially this, this is what tony soprano does as well like he he goes to dr melfi he learns some like so he misunderstands something from her and then mm. he has applies that to like you know passing over Polly for the big promotion and then he 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 transfers that that thing he half remembers from therapy onto running his crew but because he's a moron he hasn't understood the difference between say something Dr. Melfi says and how to manage Polly and i feel like this is kind of the same thing that happens here if you want Polly your problem is you don't strive for excellence <laughs> that is something tony would say you could think you, Tony could absolute there could be an episode where Melfi says something like like um like you know you must get something about striving for excellence and he would say sorry you're just taking this podcast off the rails to write Sopranos fan yeah and he would say to both AJ and to like Chrissy you know, the problem is with you you don't strive for fucking excellence yeah that's right <laughs> you, you know what I, I I'm the showrunner now so <laughs> do, you know, do you know something I discovered recently as as a brief sidetrack is that uh, Bobby Bacala from The Sopranos has a podcast yeah, called yeah, Talking I to Sopranos where he just gets other people who are also in The Sopranos just to talk about it's, being in it's, The Sopranos it's, it's Bobby it's um it's Bo it's uh, uh what is it um it's him and it's also Michael Imperioli. It's a really good yeah. show. I oh, like really? it a lot. Yeah. I just found it really it's, funny. Just, that is peak podcasting. <laughs> I just found it really that, funny. That's the snake eating itself. Yeah. <laughs> that like of all the people to have the Sopranos podcast, it would be Bobby Bacala. Well, because he was a stand-up comedian like IRL. Like, he was... Oh. I, I'm just yeah. move. I'm doing the Riley move oh, sorry, at a long So basically, working at Netflix means you're going to be told how you're doing and have your mistakes pointed out to you constantly by everyone around you forever. Uh, so he say, 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 for as an example, any locked area in the building is symbolic of hidden things. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You must be able, we've taken the door off the maintenance clock. Yeah, anyway, uh, don't go in the pizza basement. 
Yeah, oh, it's 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 all of the Guardian columnists are all just like, what? We can ex- we can inspect the bathrooms <laughs> uh, and signifies that we don't trust one another. On mm. an early trip to a Singapore office, I noticed that our employees had been given lockers in which they could lock their things, and they left every evening. The next morning, I insisted we get rid of the locks. Cool. Cool. You should, if you're taking a shit, someone should be able to walk in on you and check that that's what you're really doing. It's trust. It's trust. Now I'm hung up on the idea of Sopranos sunshining. Yeah. yeah. Actually, he's Netflix the one is it. abolishing private property. <laughs> Listen, Don, you said he was an interior decorator. I don't understand. <laughs> I believe that he was an interior decorator and I may have allowed to uh, allow him to escape in the Pine Barrens. Uh, I, I believe he was dead, but I did not <laughs> confirm that. I just love the Sopranos. Um, so, um, so the, this is the peak ver- this is the peak version of capitalism actually taking all of the things it really thinks and fears about communism and uh, and just internalizing it yes, right so Soviet it's like Union every was shit and expensive mm-hmm. and the gulag yeah, like, the gulags famously did like, not have locked doors <laughs> so um, <laughs> right like everything they think is going on in North Korea or in China or the Soviet Union they just take all of those techniques and then devote them towards creating Spencer confidential that's peak capitalism <laughs> Wait. communism for all the worst fucking ends and means exactly <laughs> serious question here you know that North Korea has like an intranet right yeah so do you reckon that North Korea has like Juche Netflix like internal Netflix because that would fucking I would watch the hell out <laughs> of that the thing is that all Netflix is Juche <laughs> yeah, yeah, this actually translates to Spencer Confidential <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a loose adaptation <laughs> following the filmmaking principles of Kim Jong Il all Netflix is Juche Netflix it's just different co- mm. it's just Juche for different areas Juche all the way down um, so yeah. this is like the Barack Obama deal is absolutely Absolutely, oh, juche, absolutely. It's like liberal juche. Yeah, Netflix is right. just liberal juche. So this is back to uh, <laughs> Nazar Jong Un in college, pretending to read like Milton Friedman to get pussy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, basically, this is back to uh, Nazario Kranz again, uh, who who was before she was fired. Uh, was asked to sunshine what she did on a trip to Milan, which was that um, she took some of their team to get their hair done and get some makeup ahead of a launch event in Milan. Uh, Ms. Nazario Kranz argued that if a manager took two men out for a round of golf and expent the outing, it wouldn't have been so controversial. And then it was spun into an issue of gender equality. But then he talks about how, like, oh, if you want to buy an expensive suitcase for a trip and you are able to, like, justify the purchase later if we ask you then it's fine and so again what it seems to me is that like you this is just like if he stops liking you then all of your decisions no longer make sense in terms of what the company needs yeah again it's the soviet (laughs) union if you make everything technically illegal and you just choose not to enforce any of it most of the time as soon as you don't like someone you can be like oh you've broken the law 400 times today yeah and then when they say yeah but everyone breaks the law 400 times every day you're like "Eh, seems like you've broken the law yeah well and also like i don't know like the Soviet Union was able to take like an agrarian, uh, like Eurasian backwater country that was like rotting and was able to like. Yeah, send but how many episodes of Spencer Confidential at- did they produce? Exactly. I was going to say, and look <laughs> at Russia today. Yeah. A modern, <laughs> forward thinking, right? And so it's like at, least, like, at least in the Soviet Union, like they went to space on their own money. <laughs> That is true. Yeah. <laughs> like those, we, those, those were union dogs. At least dogs. they produced tractors. <laughs> yeah. Right? At least they made tractors. Um, whereas here we get Spencer Confidential in this book. Um, so Nazario Kranz uh, was either fired by Hastings, as sources told by the journal, as we mentioned earlier, or she claims she left as a mutual decision. 
uh, spurred in part by a medical condition and a desire to spend more time with her children, and insists to this day that she, quote, loved Netflix. Yeah, she padlocked herself <laughs> into a suitcase and jumped off the roof of the Netflix building in an apparent <laughs> resignation attempt. I mean, not, not to keep hammering on this Soviet thing, but that's absolutely a Politburo ouster thing. Is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving to t- spend more time with my kidney transplant. You know? Yeah, and it was mutual, by the way. Like, I wanted to leave, he wanted me to leave. A grateful nation offers its thanks for a lifetime of service. Yeah, oh, my ex-girlfriend is listening. <laughs> so, uh, and Cut, cut to Nazario Kran standing on top of a skyscraper screaming, this is for you, Netflix. It was all for you. <laughs> so one Korean employee who left early, this is all from the Wall Street Journal. One Korean employee who left earlier this year from the Singapore office said the culture encouraging harsh feedback at times reminded her of North Korea, where mothers were forced to Whoa. criticize their sons in front Not of the, the public. Not the good Korea. <laughs> yeah, it's all <laughs> Juche. It's just, it is, as you said, liberal Juche. Oh, yeah, we love liberal Juche. Yeah. <laughs> Combat liberalism. <laughs> yeah, yes. Coming soon to Netflix, liberal Juche. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Confidential 4, liberal Juche. Um, so here's an example of an email that, was, that might be sent after, was sent after someone was fired. Dear all, with mixed emotions, I've decided to exit Jake. Exit is common like corporate terms for when you fire someone. You no longer say you fired them. You now say you're exiting them. Yeah, you're given an X, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jake was an internal candidate for promotion with a senior level executive position. While conducting due diligence for this promotion, some more information has been shared with me that Jake has not consistently displayed the qualities of a leader in all cases that we demand or expect. Specifically, it is now clear that Jake was not forthright with us around a major employee issue. So again, didn't rat on someone. Uh, that impacted the business even when directly asked. Jake made a meaningful impact over his many years at Netflix, and for some, this will come as a shock because he did a lot of great work. But I'm confident that the feedback I've collected is clear and led to us needing to make this change. Mm. Cool. Powerful Scientology energy, yeah. right? And again, yeah. also remember, oh, it's for yeah. not ratting. That's all right. They literally have a facility where like, you are in an office and you bond through trauma and they just like put you on tables and in cubicles and you scream at each other and tell all your deepest, darkest secrets. Mm-hmm. And then they also take away your passport and identification. <laughs> so you can't, you can't exit the, um, the bonding experience. You know, early. I'm, I'm very excited to make this episode of Spencer confidential, but why do I have to kill this? Rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, right? Like, I think you understand their version of honesty and high performance, which is that they say that because Netflix is known for hiring such good people and paying such ridiculously crazy salaries and offering such wild severance packages, that you should get your job with the expense ex- expectation that you will at some point be fired. Yeah. That ju- that yeah. Because- I want to I want to read a quick thing from um, Netflix's culture and value statement, cool. it, which really puts a pin on this. Right? They say, "quote To help us attract and retain stunning colleagues, we pay employees at the top of their personal personal market. The market for talent is what it is. At all times, we a- aim to pay all of our people at the top of their personal market. Just that language, their personal market, but also the market. It, it, it just is what it is. We have no it's say over it. We're just." <laughs> Following the imperatives of your personal market. The invisible hand, which is actually a fist smashing into your fucking face. Your own personal market. (laughs) (laughs) Reach Um, out and sack me. And and that's right. Like it's um, if you're an Uber driver, your rating drops below a certain level. You don't get to be an Uber driver anymore. 
on door on there's no that's just your personal mark yeah. he shouldn't have talked to me okay <laughs> on um or uh, uh, it wasn't DoorDash. It was another one of the gig economy um, delivery things. I, I think this one specifically in America. Uh, yeah, you um, were uh, drivers were encouraged to like get little gifts or tips for people who were hiring them or were like getting them through the app, uh, so that their ratings would stay high, so they wouldn't get automatically fired. Oh, it's the Soviet Union again. <laughs> well, again, I think stop saying it's the Soviet Union though, because remember the Soviet Union is. did do things. This doesn't even do it's anything. It's the Soviet Union, but shit and expensive. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, it is this is it is a per, or you could I think you could also you could feasibly say this is also Borgia court politics. This is also like a Byzantine like corruption game. What this really is, it's less that it's Soviet and non a non functional version of the Soviet system. It's that this is the product of a decaying system because that's what yeah. all of those places were. It was you realize that nothing else is going to get really invented. So what you're in, you know, it looks like you're inventing stuff. It looks like you're doing stuff. What you're actually doing is you are fighting for a, a you're fighting for a little patch of livable land that you know is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And you know that the more anyone else gets on that patch of land, the more likely they are to be able to take your bit. And so what you need to do is you need to proactively monopolize every single blade of fucking grass you can find. You need to invent new ways to fire people. You need to invent new ways to immiserate them, more ways to keep them scared of you, all that stuff so that you can keep your empire growing. Because the moment it stops growing, you already know that you're in a shrinking world. And to stop growing is to you know, start dying. Part of the reason why the Soviet Union did not follow through on implementing their version of the internet, which it very nearly did. It very nearly had a World Wide Web before the World Wide Web, was because it was split between two planning directorates, neither of which wanted to let the other one share in the credit in the slightest. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if that's which. Which is actually how the like the U.S. state operates as well. There's so <laughs> much uh, infighting behind age between agencies and 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 so on. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a proposal for everyone here. What if we monetized the rot? Oh, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> um, what if we loved the yeah, rot? What if we married absolutely. the rot? What if we fucked the rot? <laughs> what if we fucked the show rot? Me some, show me some decks. Show me some decks. Uh, you know, we can get something going together. Some fun. A, a startup called Rot, but the O is like one of those Scandinavian O's with a line through it. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a, what that is. That's a that's a restaurant in Brooklyn where you pay like ninety dollars for different fermented fish and fungi. Yeah. Um, so, well, noticing we're we're running up against time here, I want to uh, do a, a couple more things here. Um, yeah, they, how their no vacation policy works is that they basically they're like, look, we don't want to monitor you when you go. We want you to monitor you. Yeah, and so there's and little, everyone else. Yeah, so there's a little cop that lives in your head, and people actually do take vacations when it's modeled to them by their direct boss. And so what happens is Reed Hastings and the senior leadership team know that they have to take really long vacations and tell people about them in excruciating detail all the time, so that everyone else knows it's okay for them to take vacations. Mm. But if your direct boss doesn't take vacations, then you don't take vacations. So again, cool. it seems like it's applying kind of a sort of a chaos principle where again, like yeah, the rules... Yeah, you, you, you can take however much vacation you're brave enough to take. <laughs> um, yeah. And <laughs> join me on the dangerous game island. And, and <laughs> yeah, every island's the most dangerous game. And the thing is, like, they do actually like... like I'm, I'm, the idea of a no vacation policy means a no vacation policy like that's 
you know, intuitive. It actually bears out that that's not true. People take a kind of normal amount of vacation on average. But what it means is that like everyone's kind of worried about taking vacation because they don't really know if it's too much. Um, and so, right. They feel insanely stressed out about taking a normal amount of vacation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, bear in mind, like, uh, we shouldn't like inadvertently valorize Fordism too much. We shouldn't, or Taylorism too much. We shouldn't say like, oh, well, previously your boss didn't have a way of making you feel bad for taking yeah, your vacation days. Right. <laughs> but it's significantly more precarious when it's just like, well, do you feel like mm. you should have a vacation? Because what, yeah, what I mean, it's not, it's not that bosses have gotten worse or anything. It's simply that their, their means of like treating you like shit have expanded because in the days yeah, it's of more, it's, Ford, it's more arbitrary. Yeah. Like what well, the language has shifted right now. Yeah. They'll be like, we're just calling you in. We're no, we're checking in on you and seeing, Oh, why you took some, you know, why you haven't used some of your vacation days mm. or if you've used too many, you know, what's up? It's okay? as simple as, it's as simple as using the word culture fit to as a, as a veneer for things like racism or sexism, right? Like, uh, we're not doing any of that. You just don't fit our culture mm. here. And and the other thing, I think it's it's the kind of like right to work policies that um, a, a lot of the more red states in the U.S. have, you know, where, where right to work basically means a right to be fired at any time. Um, and that's exactly what Netflix is doing. But again, they're putting that like really liberal Silicon Valley innovation veneer on mm. top of what are ultimately like a, like a hyper conservative politician's wet dream. Mm. Yeah, like it, it, if you are in a right to work state, the fantasy is that you are this like rational consumer and you could simply go and, you know, take a job somewhere else mm. uh, because you, you're both engaged in this kind of like contract of equals. And it, with Netflix, the same thing applies, but the fantasy is like you are this freewheeling executive where it's important for you to be creative and to like go and find yourself so that you can pull out at the last minute uh, the Kodak carousel. Mm. Or you're Alan Partridge in a full tracksuit wearing like a 90s phone headset shouting, we're taking it to Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, I think, and the thing, <laughs> Alice, to go back to something you said earlier, not to valorize Taylorism, I think what you have to see, not as this as an alternative to Taylorism, but as a perfection of something that Taylorism was itself a continuation of. It is a continuation hmm. of that process where, yes, those, those rules, those rules um, in creating those rigid structures like took a lot of employee freedom away to like define the way that they would work to you know maybe even negotiate against their boss yeah, and so but, on, and so on. But, but we've made we've made huge savings mm. and delivered them onto you the but, shareholder by realizing we can just make the employees internalize and, and what i mean and what i mean here as well is like those processes in making those controls did have little bits of like rules that you could kind of lean on a, 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 like for some meager protections mm. right like they had something they had some structure that yeah it mostly was there to control you but also it it's kept the, some of the, the blows thing, from raining down on yeah you. It, it, it's the thing that we always talk about now where it's just like the stuff is like the facades are dropping everywhere um and it's it's just like naked exercise of power for power's sake which rules personally i think it's i think it's awesome um 
Yeah, it, it's setting up this dichotomy where if you're privileged and in a in a kind of higher class position, then you get the Netflix, right? Where you get to be the cop in your own head and you get the no rules rules and the 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 freedom of context instead of control, but ultimately ushering you towards the same psychopolitics. Whereas if you're on the lower end of it, if you're a gig worker, then you get an algorithm that does all of those same exact things because you can't be trusted to have a cop in your head. So you need an algorithmic cop instilling the yeah. same kind of discipline over in your you. phone. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. You, you, yeah. Can, you can either have, you have, you can either have the shock, the shock, the shock collar, or you have to like prove to capital satisfaction that you don't need one because you're going to act in the same way anyway. And it's for your exactly. goodwill. For your goodwill, you know. Just looking yeah, out. Yeah, and you. that's what ha- and that's what you do, and that's what university does now. Like you say, the function of university. Mm. Um, so, some have said the function of university is to like give you this sort of the stamp of like acceptable liberalism and so on. And that's true. That's like how it functions culturally. Like people know that they vote Democrat because they're good people, and they know they're good people because they learned like what are the bad words in university and. You know what are the val- what is the value of diversity to diversity to the economy or whatever in university? But there's another thing you learn in university, and what you learn in university, especially at very very high end universities, is you learn to discipline yourself. You learn you learn to put the shot collar on until you don't need it, or you drop out and you start a podcast. <laughs> So, yeah. um, yeah, importantly, you, you learn to discipline yourself and you also learn through like hazing rituals, how to discipline everyone around you at the same mm. time. Struggle sessions, baby. That's what we're That's here right. for. That's what they teach you. That's what the Marxist professors teach you in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a, a last couple of things about, about Netflix culture here, um, which is that, you know, they say to get cut from the team is very disappointing, but think of it like an Olympic sport. The person is admired for having had the guts and skill to make the squad in the first place. And again, the sport that they're talking about is delivering you episodes of Spencer well, Confidential. And, and the sport that they're talking about is also staying fed and sheltered. Like that never yeah. comes into it because it's always assumed that everyone working for them is so terrific that, yeah, you get fired from Netflix and then 10 people are competing to hire you. And in your personal market. Yeah. Yeah. And even if that is true, which, you know, it may be like they hire really they hire good people by paying enormous amounts of money that they borrow from the ECB. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's, but like, you, you know, even if that is true, again, think about this getting applied three levels down the prestige chain. Right. Where maybe, maybe you're a, I don't know, you're a IT person and you make like, you know, 30, 35,000 pounds a year or whatever. But this same kind of thing is applied to you. You're not going to have people clamoring to hire you, but you are going to be worried about being able to pay your rent. Yeah. Also, the fact that like this may just be Netflix now, but it won't remain so, and so the differences will become increasingly flattened. Mm. So you may, you may even if you are able to get a job somewhere else, it will be the exact same sunshining bullshit that drives you out of the first one, and it leads you into this sort of permanent state of itinerant employment mm. where you're getting shuffled between one company's bullshit like this and another's. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we, we are all Cold War defectors <laughs> yeah. running back and forth between these systems. And so, as we're coming up to the end of the episode, I'd like to acknowledge some of my own failings <laughs> during the episode. Uh, clerk. People are saying, <laughs> That's right. Hello, I'm always in ready for call. Okay. Uh, so uh, there was a Q&A. <laughs> We've been adopting a radical system of responsibility <laughs> here in the South paramilitary <laughs> movement. Yeah, one guy didn't really kill enough people in the Gabon last year. 
came over and told everyone. <laughs> Sunshining our failure to spot a giant bird. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have organized the uh, logistics at Harare Airport better. I will try to improve next time because we always strive for excellence. Um, so, Hugh, Reed, what are you trying to do to mitigate a culture of fear at Netflix? Answer. In whitewater kayaking. <laughs> Fear feeds you. Uh, I fucking hate this shit. I hate it when they, they have some like pat anecdote or, or, or dumbass analogy that they draw immediately to some kind of question. Yeah, so the, the analogy is in whitewater kayaking, they teach you to look at the clear safe water next to the dangerous water you want to avoid. So experts have found, that I'm sure they have, that if you stare at what you want to avoid, you're actually more likely to go towards it. Similarly, at Netflix, we tell all employees that it's best to focus on learning, teamwork, and accomplishment. If a person gets obsessed by the risk of being let go, then they, they won't be able to, to play properly. And this... That, again, some powerful ideology is happening here, where you're like, okay, this game that we've set up for you all to play, the only way for you to like win at it is to never acknowledge it. Oh, it's the and game. So, yeah, but like, y y it, in order to like do that, what you're selecting for are the kind of psychopaths who can play something like that intuitively, and who are like able to like screw over their coworkers and denounce people and like evade denunciations in their turn, while never making it obvious that they even know what's happening. Employee of the month, Lavrenti Barrier. <laughs> Pretty much. I, um, I can't wait until my my Neuralink is able to turn off the fear center in my brain, so I can produce Spencer Confidential better. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, la the last sort of bit of detail here, right, is um, this is a, someone describing what's called a live three hundred and sixty. This is gonna be good. Anderson Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Anderson Cooper. Uh, you where basically you and maybe nine to twelve people go to a very nice dinner together, and you get a private dining room, and then you smash it all up and give the the place that you were at money. Uh, no, no. Uh, so they they you take eight or nine, ten, eleven, twelve people, and everyone sits around the table, eats a lovely meal, and then over dinner, people begin to talk about one another, and they begin to talk about one another's. Biggest flaws. Where are they? Where are the keys? Are they in a bowl? <laughs> <by the way? laughs> um, so I think I remember this scene from Layer Cake. <laughs> I, th I think I remember this scene from Salo. Um, <laughs> so uh, here's a quote from someone talking about a live 360. Quote: Getting publicly ripped apart may sound like torture. <laughs> It doesn't sound like torture. It sounds like murder. Um, Every time I go to a live 360, I'm nervous. But after you get started, you see it's going to be fine. Because everyone is watching. Everyone else is careful to be generous and supportive in the way they give feedback. And knows that awesome. if they don't give you good feedback, they will get bad feedback themselves later. Ah, oh, the compliments. Late sandwich. nights. Late nights with Yosef at the Dacha. <laughs> Uh, no one wants to embarrass or attack you, and if they step out of line, they will obviously get uh, immediately get feedback about their feedback. And if the live session goes well, everyone gets tough advice from everyone else, so you're not singled out. When your turn comes round, it might be difficult to hear what people have to say, but you'll come to realize it was one of the greatest developmental gifts of your entire life. I hate to get feedback about my feedback. Yeah. That's the last <sighs> thing I expected that, when I was giving feedback. Think about that. One of the greatest, a struggle session is a great developmental gift. The greatest of your life. 
Yeah, and they're, you know using, and they're using it to build Spencer Confidential <laughs> instead of communism. You know what I realized? I realized I just love being called a stupid piece of shit. I mean, you know, I, a, I, a I do. I do worker. love that. <laughs> yeah, Alice, maybe so, you should get a job I mean, at Netflix. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Just you should get a job at Netflix, but just constantly fuck up in like little ways. <laughs> like always be, always. Achieve a record for the most fired person from Netflix. Well, you have to like keep being so incredible that like they never get rid of you, but keep fucking up in small ways so that you're always yeah. getting sunshine. You have to do the best sunshines, the best mass emails. They'll use that shit. Like this is the energy that y'all need to. Can I give you some feedback on your feedback? Uh, It's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So uh, the perfect Netflix employee is a switch. They can be both sub and dom at the same time. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, But also, that comes to the the end of what all all of the I read. I get. I read this whole book, cover to fucking cover. Another book. That I Amazing. No. What once again <laughs> once again I have read a book. <laughs> once again, I well once again I have read a book that was deeply unpleasant to read. So you better appreciate it. Can this. I can I plug <laughs> can I plug a book since I mentioned something about it sure. earlier? If you want to hear more about how the late Soviet Union was very much like late capitalism, read Benjamin Peters uh How Not to Network a Nation, the Uneasy History of the Soviet Internet. Mm. Yeah, sounds interesting. I mean, I think at least with this book, Riley, this is probably a book that at least some other people have read. They that's just true. read it in a very different way to you. Yeah, that's right. And were mm. dead-eyed psychos. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, like, I read some book reviews about uh, on this. Like, I wanted to see what the financial press thought. So I read the FT book review. I read the uh, New York Times Dill book uh, review, rather, of the book. Like, so, But all of these reviews are obviously and, of course, glowing, right? They think this is amazing, and, and they, they don't see... Any of the the clear psychopathic nature of it, they don't see any of the analogies that we've drawn between like this is communism, but for really bad capitalism. They like to go back to the beginning of the episode. This is Cheryl Stanberg uh, looking at the culture deck at Reed's culture deck and being like, "This is the most important document that Silicon Valley has ever produced." And you know what? It's it is coming to a workplace near you. That's the other thing. Don't forget that. All it's going to tell, like, yeah, in Europe, we think we have, like, decent social democratic labor protections and stuff. Yeah, right now we do. Will we in five years? Once Brexit goes through, baby. In five years, will we? You know, and in five years, what's the idea of management that's going to be sitting around to replace what we have now? It's this. It's sunshining. It's culture fit. It's all that stuff. Well, I'm sure this will also be applied evenly. Mm, Oh, for sure. Yeah, like it's. I'm very excited for the Trash Future Struggle session, personally. <laughs> that's, that's just the YouTube stream. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the YouTube stream, uh, don't forget that is happening. Uh, it is happening on su- Thursdays and Sundays. 9 to 11. From baby. 9 till 11 UK time. Yeah, that's PM. That's 9, yeah. 9 to 11 PM UK time. Yeah, it is also happening 30 minutes after the recording of this right now. That's right. So uh, mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a puzzler for you time heads out there. Yeah, who want to know when this was recorded? <laughs> um, so 
mark that on your bingo card. How many of y'all got your stopwatch out? <laughs> Do, doing Taylorism. <laughs> yeah, podcast Taylorism. I, I have a little. Th- I have a little uh, shot collar connected to all of my co-hosts. And and um. And I'll, yeah, why do you think I joined this well, podcast? No, and I'll turn it. I'll turn it on in most cases if they miss a joke. And in in one co-host case, I'll turn it off if she misses a joke. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that's good for all of us um, from here at TF. Now, uh, don't forget, uh, listen to This Machine Kills podcast. Uh, Jathan and Ed, why should people listen to that show? Uh, well, you should listen to that show if you love innovation and progress and all the wonderful <laughs> things coming out of Silicon Valley. Okay, Jason, you said why the show yeah. is good. Would you mind acknowledging some of its failings? <laughs> oh, interesting. Our, one of our biggest failings is that we don't have enough Silicon Valley venture capitalists on. We need to hear their perspective. We need to understand the enemy better. I think we just need to, we need to get more of them on. Reed Hastings. Jason? <laughs> Jason's a, you know, yeah, Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings, another one. He's on the, he's a white whale yeah, for us. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to bring up Jason Kalanakis, who's a VC that's invested in Uber and Lyft and all, and, he, and he's just an and awful person. For some yeah, reason, he, he, he's he's really interested in our show and has come at us multiple times. <laughs> well, yeah. it's the, uh, Jason Kalanakis, uh, Reed Hastings, and then Mohammed bin Salman—they're actually like the they're like the liberal chapel trap come house. town lineup. Yeah, yeah, they're the liberal chapel <laughs> trap house. They get together. <laughs> um, they they but yes. they, they make fun of every book that comes out on like Verso. That's right. Um, <laughs> all right. Anyways, look. that's just called Clubhouse. Ah. That's Clubhouse. It already exists. <laughs> all right. Um, this is this is this uh, this struggle session's been going on for long enough. Thank you for sunshining here with me today. Uh, thank you again to Jathan and Ed for coming on and sharing the, all of your many wisdoms with us across no fewer than two episodes this week. Uh, you're really giving it your all, guys. Uh, I'm glad to see you giving 110 uh, percent and being here after hours. Uh, so you can you can expect an extra hundred thousand dollars per year, but um, maybe you're going to be fired in a week, so you don't get any of it. <laughs> um, uh, and also, thank you to the listener for listening to this show on Patreon, uh, yeah, that Patreon platform that you're listening to right now. If you have any of your failings that you'd like to acknowledge, uh, don't message us. Yeah, if you have any of your failings that you'd like to acknowledge, uh, <laughs> do at, not email me. Yeah, how about this? R- write them on the front of the Trash Future shirt that you have just yeah, purchased. Uh, mail. Them to uh, Alex Keeley. Yeah. <laughs> at Alex uh, Keeley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at Alex Keeley and yeah. tell him what's going on uh, with your personal life and mm. maybe what, you know, what could be going better. And the Chashucha Shirts web store is now live. We got we got new shirts. We got reissue honk ball shirts. Well, uh, it would have been live when the first episode of this comes out, right? Yeah, but I just, it's, it's still it's live. Still live. It's, yeah. still, it's still live. It hasn't yet been fired. So, so uh, get your pre-orders in for our third mainline shirt, our uh, What If Your Robot Was Just a Guy shirt. Uh, and, our, uh, re- and we found another box of Honkball shirts in the old shoe polish factory. Um, and this time we found a machine that makes the shirts, but we can only turn it on once. So we need to know how many of those shirts we have to print. <laughs> Which is our long-winded way of saying it's a pre-order system and then we'll order as many as you uh, request. Cool. All right. <laughs> Later, everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.